Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast, a podcast about people, product and crypto. Today I've got with me Rebecca Halkist. I hope I'm saying that right. Rebecca is an arts and culture manager and event marketer turned blockchain and community builder. She spent the last five plus years working for arts councils, studios and festivals, then did an MBA during all the pandemic lockdowns to figure out what to do next. 11 months ago, she started working for Neo Foundation on the community team as a community OS specialist. Now, she's a community team lead on the Near Foundation marketing. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome. Thank you, Vivian. It does feel a little bit weird to start with the intro, doesn't it? <laughs> it really, we're just going right in. But also, I think that's how we start all of our conversations, no matter how they happen anyway. Like, we almost don't even need greetings anymore because I feel I'm always starting a conversation with you that's never ending. And so it just picks up wherever we left off. And I- that is a major generational gap. It's like the conversations don't have a beginning or an end. It's just like an endless flow of messages. Even if they're, if they're like yes. two years apart <laughs> to just message yeah. someone out yeah. of the blue. And you just pick up the thread wherever it was left last. And there's something about that fluidity that I really like because we live endlessly online. And also will continue to live endlessly online, which is a really freaky concept. I'm reminded of every so often. My identity is there forever. But it also helps to, for me to feel less isolated because it's like there's these people out there that I kind of know a little bit and we can reach out and just chat about whatever and pick up where we left off and be aware of what everyone's doing and how they're operating through the space, but then we get to have nice, candid moments where I see your face like this, and that's nice. And if you're like me and you have like attachment issues or abandonment issues, then you don't ever have to worry about that. People are always there, even if you never talk to them. Someone's (laughs) always there. And I hopefully that is comforting to people and not worrisome because then there's that pressure of feeling you always need to be there. And always need to be online and always responsive. But just having the concept, the idea of there's this group of people throughout time and space who, well, you know, if you're feeling down, if there's something really cool that you wanted to share, you could just ping them. Be like, hey, here's this thing. What's going on? And then you just pick it up. Where you- and at a very meta level, we're technically being that to the people listening to this podcast now. We're becoming people that they hang out with, they get used to listening to every day or whenever they listen to the podcast and somehow become part of their lives. They get to know you. I'm getting the most amazing DMs. This is the honeymoon era of podcasting, no doubt. (laughs) The crazy messages will probably follow up uh, later, but. Eh, yeah, with time. Yeah. Bill comes. Well, for now, it's. I'm really grateful to have you back at all because I do have to apologize both personally and publicly. We recorded the first version of the podcast in November last year. I remember the date because I was in Sydney at the time and it was already a bit of a stretch. I had to borrow someone's laptop to record and we didn't have the mic. That time of the year was crazy for many reasons. Some things have changed for both of us. I would personally take it as a big offense if somebody who has an active podcast records an interview with me and it doesn't go live. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to be in the vault. I feel like not that there was anything I uh, I imagine particularly impactful that I want to be representative of who I am and how I'm present in the near ecosystem for all time. Maybe there is. I honestly, I don't remember. (laughs) It was five months ago, but 
I, I also recognized that there were a couple of things that came up at the time that were dated. Like they weren't going to, they weren't going to age. It wasn't evergreen content. It was very based in that period of time. So actually, I feel really grateful that we get to do a bit of a do-over. That was like the dress rehearsal. That was the trial run. And now it's like, all right, here we go. Sitting down, doing it for real, having the conversation, whatever that might mean. And yes, there has been many changes for both of us since then, <laughs> which we can go into if we want. That could be an easier way in. There's no rush. Uh, that is my personal mantra, which I guess you shouldn't be revealing publicly, but I am grateful for everything that has happened. The universe is conspiring to help me achieve my mission. So in some ways, the universe was like, do not publish that second half of the episode with Michael Kelly <laughs> talking about aliens That's right. and do not publish Rebecca. She's going to go through some changes. And when she's in a different place, we'll come back and share again. <laughs> yeah. For better or worse. I, I always think it's for the better, but... But will anyone ever know? I think that's the best part. Our interpretation and our perspective now is what endures. I think that even if we go through challenging times personally, the ecosystem is growing so much that it is always possible to give it a spin and just focus on the opportunity. Like in that November to February period, yeah, talking about myself, you know, there were some changes and some challenges and some things that I literally just walked away from. Because the new opportunities and the new growth was like always bigger and better than just like focusing, being stuck on the past. Some of the things actually I should have probably followed up on. You can't win all of them. <laughs> yeah, maybe the departure was slightly less than clean or like clear cut, but yeah, maybe not. And I, I think to, to myself as well, some context. Yeah, that might be helpful. I, I, everyone, you just jumped halfway through this conversation with us. But yeah, so some context on my side would be professionally. There was some interesting just growth changes and, and restructuring moments within Near Foundation itself as we got a new CEO, as we gained more talent internally and maybe folks departed for, for other really cool opportunities, either within this ecosystem or others. So I am going through continued changes. They're, they never stops, nor should it. We stop changing, we die. Isn't that the expression? So this is in real practice unfolding presently. And so my, my role as it is now versus how it was five months ago has undergone maybe two, three different transformations. Fundamentally a different role. Yeah, yeah, but- You're like a shapeshifter. Terminology. <laughs> I, I, a multi-hat wearer. That's a game, that's a game we all play in the space in particular. And especially if in a startup environment of which Near Foundation is still very much a one. And my past comes from not-for-profit. So it's this enduring theme of how things are today, might be like this tomorrow, next week, maybe a month from now, definitely not. And we're in the pursuit of that kind of growth, always toward a positive outcome, a better end. Like we're not satisfied with how things are in the day to day, but that does result in some friction, of course, because there are external factors that might impact whether or not you can actually achieve that growth in the time you want to. My favorite example of this was when we announced the need for uh, Know Your Customer or, or KYC checks and balances at the beginning of January of this year of 2022. And we knew it had to happen. We had felt for a few months that this was something that needed to be a significant shift 
internal to Near Foundation because the days of sending bags of Near to Anons was not going to suit anyone well for much longer. So it felt abrupt and it was coming from that legal regulatory impetus, but it wasn't, no matter how we approached it, it was always going to feel jarring. That's that change. It just went And then everything after that had to be different. And so we knew that was coming, but the product development, the tools that would need to be in place in order to make it a more seamless uh, user experience, which I know is near and dear to your heart, they weren't there yet. And hopefully they'll be there soon, but you have the competing need, the competing vision, the desire, the plan, the goals. And then you actually have the tech, the product, the will, and the cooperation. So sometimes it doesn't happen in the smoothest way possible, or dare I say, in lockstep or in tandem, as maybe as you would ideally like it to. But that's coming from that growth mindset. That's coming from that space of, we're just going to try it. It might alienate some people. Definitely did. Folks saw it. It was very clear that there was a number of people who felt, for whatever reason, this was not the right move at this time or ever. And then there was also some really interesting, surprising, actually, responses where it was like, oh, totally agree with this. What can we do? Or it was totally agree. Don't agree with what's happened. Let's talk about how we can fix that. And then the dialogue really properly begins with with the community in that way. So that's just like one major thing that with my role and it it went from, oh, I'm part of the community team and funding is the secondary function to, oh, my goodness, our funding process needs a complete overhaul. Let's go. And before I knew it, I was like in-house regulatory girl uh, trying to trying to hold some of these pieces together, thankfully with other colleagues. But that is an enduring piece of work that you wouldn't expect to come out of uh, at all. And I know you have thoughts. One of the many reasons why I'm happy to have you, not only because I felt like the first conversation was good and I owed it to you because I didn't publish it because things got wild back in the day, is it the changes that have occurred on both sides cross paths in a way where we've actually been on opposite ends of the situation. I guess from the foundation side, you've been trying to figure out frameworks for things to engage with the foundation, guilds, grants, basically anyone accessing funding and wanting to grow through that foundation side. And on my end, I've been both through the guild side with Silicon Craftsmen and the marketing DAO. So despite some of the people may refer to it as animosity or tension. There's essentially been some exchange of messages over time. I keep saying that the governance forum is good for open debate. Messages are accessible to people. It is asynchronous. But at the same time, when there is disagreement and a conversation to be had to reach an outcome, I always think it's better to, you know, jump on board one on one. So yeah, I, I keep telling people, I said it in the Lockyer episode, I'm saying in this one, I'm really happy to have had calls with everyone involved and to see things evolve. And if I were to describe the challenges that I see for the foundation in a very eloquent way, as sometimes I do. Ooh, yes, let's go. I'm ready. That's- it's like having a baby. And when you think of a baby, you think, okay, it's like a toddler. It goes for a development period at a certain age. 
it starts to read, then it walks, and I don't know, I don't have kids, but I would assume. <laughs> I think like this evolution. Yeah, yeah. I was a, not for every child, yeah. but per, per our... Definitely not every child. There are some baby geniuses out there coding and hacking us on the blockchain, but for the rest of us, as a normal evolution. Mm. In your foundation, yeah. it's like a baby that looks like a 25-year-old. It is a startup. It's been around for two years. It's got the same growth challenges at any other organization from change of leadership, hiring new people, communicating the vision, the mission. You've got a ton of stakeholders and what gives you the look of a 25-year-old grown man with a beard or a... Oh. Oh, we're going, this is a whole persona that's like a, a hipster. We're going like full beard and maybe wearing plum. Why not? I was just trying to make it look like not anyone that I know. I don't think I recall one person in your ecosystem with beards. That's weird. <laughs> but anyway. It's good. This is a call out. If you have a beard and you're a member of the near ecosystem, please reveal. If you're able to grow one. 100%. Yeah, but I think that yeah. what gives it that oversized look, which may mislead some people, yeah. is that there's a ton of money there. So in some ways, you're kind of like victims of your own success. It, it is amazing to grow really fast. But with each step of growth, you have to be able to match in delivery of everything. And there's been situations where you literally can't hire fast enough. And the people in the ecosystem can't keep up with what's happening. And there's just many challenges that they're not different for being in the blockchain space. And I think that we're trying to grapple them. If we look at the funding side specifically, we actually had many challenges that combined at the same time. One of them was that we were doing funding based on NIR, but the price of NIR fluctuates. So then we migrate to doing funding on USD, but the payments are still in NIR, and then we add KYC. And there's just many changes that yeah. if people didn't get or we didn't communicate that we're still growing as a startup, even though it is a 200-pound gorilla startup, there may be some miscommunication. We're definitely seeing with the marketing DAO and we're trying to communicate it a lot more clearly now that just because we funded things in the past doesn't mean that we can't keep funding them in the future. And some of the frameworks and the guidelines that we've used to assess people's progress will naturally evolve as we have more data or the needs of the ecosystem change. So I think it is good <laughs> to have you on to share some of the experience. I don't think it's worth or possible to hide it, pretend that everything has been rosy all throughout, but it's really good for people to understand no. the thinking behind it, the rationale, where we're going, and especially for someone like you to see longevity. It's good to see somebody that's been throughout. So you remember how things were in the past. You've been there and hopefully as new people join to keep helping out, you get on board them quickly. Oh. And, and oh, there's so much you said there that's important for me to capitalize on, in particular, the marketing DAO. And of course, your involvement with that, which I've long been happy to see develop. And for that entity itself, as it's now entirely community run, which brings such joy to my heart, just to see that enter its next stage of evolution as well. And this is the beauty of decentralization. This is the beauty of, of spinouts and what that looks like. And so for that longevity piece, it's true. I'm practically an OG at this point, even though it's been 11 months, it, it does feel longer and shorter at the same time. Somehow it's been an, still an incredible learning experience and also trial and error because in community in particular, 
And this is the part that every day, whoever's talking to me about what does it mean to work in community? How is community different from literally any other kind of work or, or department, so to speak, as such, is that you have to have such an openness and patience for anything because community is the testing ground. It's the experimental trial space and it needs to be. So anyone who's coming in expecting something to be fully cooked, ready for you to dig into and, uh, and ship and run to other people, that happens sometimes. But usually it's not because we designed it. It's usually because it reached some sort of natural evolution that involved enough community stakeholders for the entire community or a majority of it to feel that it was worth getting to that point. So when it comes to payouts, when it comes to funding, I've been hearing a lot lately in particular as we look at sort of an evolution, the next evolution of a couple of these pieces, I've been hearing a lot that too much funding can kill the culture. And I am seeing that myself and I haven't seen it for quite a while, but because we had that expectation established of you want, you have an idea, you have a community that you're onboarding onto near, just come ask us for literally whatever you want. You, there was trust established from the beginning of the best about what you're doing, about what you want to do. Let us help you achieve that. And there is that kind of feeling of, well, there's buckets of money. Let us go free and disseminate and make sure that we're getting it to as many people as possible. And then controls started to be established. So it, you, you almost had to rewind a little bit about how people can access the funds and in what ways and for what building those guides, building those parameters, and then saying, okay, yeah, that's great this time. And when someone comes back asking for funding again, cool. All right. First, tell us how the last time went. That's, we needed to establish better reporting right away of, okay, you got some funds, you did some things. What happened? How do you feel it went? You set up your own standards for success. So measure and match what happened against that. And now we're talking about the next step, the next batch of funding, whatever that looks like. And it does end up following a traditional granting structure because it's almost like we just have an infinite number of milestones and each application or each proposal for funds represents a milestone. What's the end goal? Who knows? And that's part of the problem is that it just ended up being this on tap endless flow of funds. I love that feeling of abundance. It sometimes attracts the wrong kind of people, though. It sometimes attracts the, the schemers, <laughs> the malicious agents, whatever that looks like. So then you have to keep establishing newer controls, newer methods of management, newer abilities to expectation manage. And then what we're, ha what we're having right now and what we're seeing unfold right now in the community is a revamp where you then prompt everyone, okay, We've been operating like this for, you know, a little over a year now. Is it working? The argument is sometimes it's not. And there's a lot that isn't working because it's incredibly manual. It requires an awful lot of internal to near foundation oversight. And we're only seeing certain areas. And I would argue this is the Dow verticals. This is the creatives Dow. And this is the marketing Dow where we are seeing that active community run community self-governance where decentralization is actively happening, but that's not the case in all the other pockets of the community. So when we have these exceptional instances, including those Dow verticals and others, there's so many guilds I could list, 
who are really just leading the way, but not everyone's there. So what does that mean? How can we be, how can we be more fair to both the exceptions and also the smaller groups out there who maybe see that as their own path forward, or maybe are seeing something different? And a one-size-fits-all sort of guilds program doesn't end up actually being the best solution for all of these different groups. And what's next? That's a big, that's a big question that I get asked. And I can't tell you the answer at the moment because it's being actively decided by individuals like ABB, individuals who are posting on the forum with their proposals and who feel strongly and wonderfully passionate about what could be next. And now the work is gathering all those views and try and make something cohesive out of it that ends up being the best compromise possible. A big challenge that I see is how to change someone's payout. It's a sensitive topic. And some of the changes that we've seen at the heart of it go to the fact that we don't have employees. We work on a grant by grant basis. And some grants being recurrent led people to basically be employees. And I'm going to be extremely cynical because I can, because I am not an employee. I remember, <laughs> Go I'm going to do it with an example, so I don't shit on anyone too, too much directly. But I remember when I worked oh. at, at the university that I studied to have a casual job. I was way overpaid for my age and definitely for what I did. And at some point I felt guilty. And then I realized that no one at the university was doing anything. It was like the cascade of complicity. I didn't do anything, but my manager didn't do anything and her manager didn't do anything. And my motto was everyone gets paid, nothing gets done and time goes by. You're sitting on a cushy salary. You've got a really good retirement package and universities are basically a huge scam. <laughs> Where yes, the formalized post-secondary education. We have views on that for sure. Well, the formula of being an employee is you've got a consistent payment even if there are whatever happening, you may not deliver. And it, it may, even if they do get rid of you because you're not really doing anything, it may take them a while to do so because HR just processes payments month to month. Sadly, for contractors, for freelancers, that's not how we work. You get into a well-defined structure, like a series of work. And if it's not performed, you have to explain why. There needs to be some deliverables. And uh, yes. That's why usually contractors or freelancers charge more on, on a per hourly basis, but they're also expected to perform. <laughs> so we've entered into that weird dynamic where how we set the standards for performance and what counts is different. And I think that this ties with, if I may transition into a brief history of DAOs and funding. Oh, let's. I love history. Let's go. So back in the day, at about the same time that you joined you would have been keenly aware that there wasn't really that much to do on chain. We had a stellar technical team and there was so much in the pipeline, but good technology takes time. And even back then when we were funding engineering teams to build on top of an year, it would take them, you know, six months to ship something. Back then we may have over indexed on the creatives funding because creatives are a wonderful community that through their art, and through their widely ranging nature of work are able to attract others and they don't really need much technologically, like the bare bones worked for them at the time. So I think that 
as the technology evolves and we start to see more and more groups join the ecosystem, there is a bit of tension between how much money are we giving to whom and who is creating value and what do we need right now? And the and who's, who is deciding who is creating value? Correct. That's a big one. Too. Yeah, because if you assess, to put a random hypothetical example, if you put side by side somebody who got a grant to build a technical thing, somebody who got a grant from the marketing DAO for a monthly budget, and somebody who got a grant from the creatives DAO, you're going to have completely different standards applied differently. And I think there's been some tension in the ecosystem. All dollars are equal, but not, what is it? All dollars are equal, but some dollars are more equal than others. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've never heard. That. I just made it up. Why it would be. Yeah. <laughs> you just, oh, that's why. Quotes by ABB. Yes, I can. Yep. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's trademarked now. Yeah. So I think that in terms of funding, that's being the challenge to put the bad signal that we can fund the best, but also to keep everyone on the toes, competitive, reactive to what the ecosystem needs. And I guess for a bit more context, or maybe you can, oh, they're meant to be community run now, but I don't know if you can give us a bit of a rundown on how the creative and marketing DAO operate now, who is eligible for them. Ooh, yes, generally. But, but okay, before you get to that, there was something you raised before that, that I want to respond to because it's the value of work, who's valuing the work, who's providing the funding. And how? The second you add, as you properly spotlit, as the, soon as you add more complexity, whether that's technical, whether that's in the formulation of the funding ask itself, whether that's how we're directing people to best present themselves to request funding. That's another thing, right? Like the guidelines, the standards, whatever gets developed there. You don't, you can't have it be too rigid because then that stifles innovative thought. And then you can't have it be too flexible because then you end up with things being widely disparate and setting up all sorts of uncertainty, confusion, and yeah, just overall discomfort, which is the, the current tension that is being felt right now, for sure, internally, just internal to me on a day to day. And I'm not even directly in charge of funding decisions for the creatives DAO or the marketing DAO, and nor should I be. I'm not making that claim at all. But it's important to know that this is only one funding mechanism. Within the broader NEAR Foundation, you can receive funding through an education grant. You can receive funding through a grant through traditional funding or a capital G grants. You can receive all sorts of different forms of grants within that structure as well. So the more we bulked up our funding options, the more we advertised, hey, you want to build, contribute, create, whatever that looks like, we can help. And the most tangible, easy form of support, hands down, is funding. That's just, it's quote unquote easy. We're just, we just spent the past like 20 minutes talking about why it's not easy. But when you're talking about human labor over funds, and you're trying to find the, let's say, most straightforward way to support a project, a community group, an enterprise, it's with funding. So We printed the tokens. Right. It's very hard to print people with yeah. brains, ideas, very time availability, and execution. That's very hard. <laughs> yeah, it's let's just get the tokens out. And even now, being able to, to seed with stablecoin, which is something that's just 
begun in the proper way. That took the time that it needed to. We were clamoring for that for months. And as of the beginning of April, we were able to say at least within the community, and we are the first funding uh, vertical or funding entity within Near Foundation that's able to start on this scale across a wide spectrum of stablecoin options. Then once you're able to say that and you're able to give a bit more certainty, a bit more comfort, just anything that eases the whole funding process and bits and pieces along the way while you're having those big philosophical conversations, because people are still doing work. People are still contributing. People still want to host events. They still want to do all sorts of awesome activities that totally deserve compensation because it's work being done. It's work being done on Mir's behalf. And then the whole other piece of, okay, let's look at this work and see how much it can deserve or how much it can be valued at. And that piece for the beginning was something that happened in a lot more of a centralized fashion that now I'm, I'm very happy to say over, especially the past five, six months has become a process that has been one where it's trusted community members helping to really shape those decisions in a more concentrated way than had ever been before. So getting to the point now of, okay, how are things operating? What's the state of affairs today? Knowing that in a month, <laughs> two months, it's going to change. This is how it works, right? We're constantly trying to strive toward something and that something being greater efficiency, being greater transparency, being greater fairness and greater ownership for the community in the only the community fund itself, but like looking across near foundation. And I think I can speak for a lot of my colleagues in this, having the community feel that they have a stake. Literally, I'm using that very intentionally, a stake in what's happening within the wider near ecosystem. So funds end up being a really key part of that. But referencing what I said before about being a culture killer, you also need to be mindful that the people who have access to funds or access to distributing funds have good intentions and actually genuinely believe in the idea that we're not trying to set up little despots who just have like weird privileged access and, and can have this say over how funding gets disseminated. No, there needs to be more of a protection plan around that. Right now, how things are you have really two key models to my mind. So um, thinking about the marketing in particular to start, you have a, a group of really engaged, trusted individuals who have, I would say, better expertise than was in this DAO previously when Near Foundation employees were helping get it spun up. And the people who I'm referencing are totally, they own up to that and they're totally fine with it. So it's cool. But the marketing DAO has a wide selection of individuals from across the community who were maybe around for a bit or relatively new in comparison, differing experiences, different localities. And it's a group of people who form this council who can say right now, anyone who's applying for funding, there's a guide that needs to be followed. There are parameters set in place and this council deliberates on how valuable that ask is like the actual tangible funding amount and then the, the work being attached to it. And this is where obviously AVB, you need to weigh in here about the thinking on the part of the council too, if you feel so inclined of the, the valuation process and the assessment, because of course there's so many factors to account for 
on a local level, like someone asking for funds in, in Venezuela versus someone asking for funds in Sweden, it's quite a different local experience. So like the token that gets distributed, whatever that denomination is, the output where it goes, we, we know is different, but we have to evaluate that. The single biggest change in the marketing DAO has been since we had our two latest council members who are actual professional marketers. They were astounded by the amount of money we were handing out for such little work and no outcome. They, they were like, I slave away for, for, like, I do the work, I hand over the proposal. If they accept it, I get paid pittance. If they don't accept it, I work for free. They work for clients for weeks on end for about the same budget. Like, it was very interesting because it starts to highlight the difference between the professional world, which is cutthroat. But you expect results if you hand over money and the community, which people are completely open and free to do any work that they want in any fashion that they want. And we want to make sure that they're remunerated for their work if they create value. So rather than just telling everyone to go away or just cutting everyone, what we've really started to try to do is bring in some of the professional aspect in terms of presenting the proposal. We know that people have good intentions. We know the work that they've been doing. And we definitely believe that if they have a bit more guidance, we can like elevate them. We don't want them to be professional marketers. But when you present the idea, if you can elaborate more on the impact that you think it is going to have and some of the distribution channels and how do we track them. And this is a process that really helps month and month to reassess. And we've had people that actually love the honesty and the humility that they come back and they're like, you know what? It didn't work like we expected. As it turns out, <laughs> it's actually quite hard. It's like the, the, yep, the experimentation part always. And people would also, I would argue, look at social media in particular and be like, oh, anyone can set up a Twitter account. But obviously that's not the point is to make it successful. What is successful? Yeah. It means engagement. It means retweets. It means likes. It means impressions, shares. It means things more tangible than that. And that lends itself really well to KPIs and metrics, which is... I'm, I'm so happy to hear that because that's the most important part that the council should be doing is setting the tone for how funding can be accessed. And if people have an issue with that, they're welcome to raise it in a respectful and open manner on the governance forum and have an, op like an open dialogue around it. That's the point of all this. I don't want to get too specific because people will be able to track these people down. But as we try to implement some more of these measures, and I want to clarify Inevitably, when there are changes, someone has to be first. But I want to reassure everyone that the measures are being rolled out across the board. And it definitely makes a difference if we've been working with the team on a recurring basis. So some of the new measures mm -hmm. for structure may have already been satisfied months ago. But there's been pushback. And inevitably, as a council member asking for a receipt, if somebody pushes back, what am I expected to think? I love that you recently referred to me as being a healthy skeptic. Yes, I did. But I did. And I, I think that that's what's needed in that space and in that time, because it's true. Trust needs to be present throughout. And if someone is coming back on an honest, open question of funds were given to you, you need to show proof of what happened with the funds so you can access more funds again. It's that same idea of report and then ask for more based on that established history, that established success. If you're setting up progress, there's a goal. Obviously, people are going to say, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. Let's, you have a plan, you have a vision. 
that's something we can either get on board with or respectfully debate. I think, but yeah, that that's all I meant by that. I think that in the same way that we assume good intent on people, but still ask questions. Yes. Applicants should assume good intent on council members. <laughs> like I've been berated in ways that I'm like, look, maybe when we ask questions, I understand people don't like to be questioned. If the questions were to be negative, the implication could be that you may be a scammer. But once again, like we need to assume good intent on both sides, especially when our role is to ask questions. And I'll tell you specifically why, over, especially over the last few weeks, since the council became fully committed to being a bit more intense, I've observed that the level of funding granted to each body is directly proportional to how much you trust the decision maker. There's a reason why the education team has a blank check. They have performed phenomenally well. They must have some method for assessing applications. They've got a very well-defined scope of work. I was looking recently at their applications for the fellowship program. They've got processes. I don't think anyone is, you know, losing sleep at night, wondering what the education team is funding <clears throat> and the things that they have funded. But until now, we can see the process. So I'm worried that if we've been given this insane gift of a community-run council, which, just to describe it briefly, we vote and whatever we pass, we literally hand over the invoice to the foundation and they pay. I am aware of the responsibility of if we fuck it up, if we start funding things that are terrible, if we can't show results, God bless, if we fund like actual scammers or terrorist groups or whatever the case may be, definitely not the latter one, not knowingly and willingly. No, no, now that there's KYC, ABB, that's why that was established. Yeah, but... It, it does weigh on me that we have an amazing resource available to us. And if we waste it, it's going to be cut off in the same way that we would cut off a project that it's not performing. So for us, as like middlemen, sounds horrible, but it's true. As for us in the middle, dispersing money with the trust that the foundation has embedded in us, we have to both be more critical of the people that we're funding and also we're putting a lot more emphasis on recruiting new people. So if you see anyone doing great work, the first thing I ask is, do you have any sources of funding? I believe that perhaps if you fund people, they could do more work or better work. Mm -hmm. And before, I'm going to say it sounds horrible, but it's true. When we had new foundation people sitting on the board, the implication was even if we're funding something that on the surface level looks kind of shit, this must be approved, like, vicariously. When the reality was, near foundation members were extremely busy. They were already trusting us to make a decision, and most of the time, they just jumped in to vote. So we were already independent for a long time, but I think that I'm just trying to drill the message now to the applicants, to other council members, to everyone, that it's a good deal, and we can lose it if we're not careful. And that should be how everyone feels in this space, right? Like, I, on the one hand, I, I understand and respect, and this is something I have to talk to colleagues who haven't been interacting with the community as much as I've been thankful to over the past 11 months. There is a warranted entitlement there because it is called the community fund. These are funds that were acknowledged since like June 2020 that are established for the community. So naturally, a community member out here doing something that they perceive to be valuable, that their understanding could be impactful or meaningful for whatever reason occurs to them, whatever their perspective is. 
And arbitrarily or subjectively, they could be totally right. But that's where we need to say, yes, everyone's work can be valuable. That's not the question. The question is rather when we're going through this space and we're thinking about the near ecosystem and representing near, what is that value? What does that mean? And it has to be tied to impact because I could be someone with just my cell phone in some lovely little corner of the world who found out about near somehow probably because I knew someone, because that's how that happens. It's always a friend being like, come, learn about Nier. Takes you by the hand and let's go. And I could be saying, all right, I'm onboarding, I'm, I'm onboarding like 10 people a month, which can be incredible. But the value, the money that needs to go with that, like the funding that you require in order to make that happen is going to be inherently different from someone who's on the other side in their corner of the world working collaboratively with other organizations, doing whatever it is that they need to do, but they're onboarding hundreds of people a month. That's just more people. It needs more funds. So uh, that's very simplistic. And maybe that's not like the best example that could reach as many people as possible. But I, I, I just want anyone who's listening to understand that it's never a question of anyone's individual contribution being devalued. It's about resource allocation. And that has to come with parameters. It has to come with criteria. And it can't just come on the basis of, I asked for it. So obviously I should get it. And that's a conversation I've had so many times. And I'll continue to have because that's not with our openness. That's the learning there about what it means to be here in the near ecosystem and thinking ecosystem first, thinking about openness. You need to be open to feedback. And that's something that hopefully we've made clear as well on the foundation side, that we're not shutting down anyone who has a, a contrary or dissenting view at all. That's not the point. We need to be open to that. We need to listen, incorporate, respond, whatever that looks like. And we're trying to get better at that too. It's, a, it's definitely a learning process work because it's very difficult to reach everyone always with anything that you're doing. And there's a lot happening. I think that the best way to address some of these rapidly evolving complex dynamic systems is always with questions. Because the question that I ask is, should this person be funded? You can try not to make it personal. You can put them in a category of work. No. And then the next question is, there's two questions, actually. The first one, for how long are you going to fund this? Dance DAO is a great idea, but are we going to fund dancing into perpetuity? The clear answer is no. So the challenging part is, where is the line? And the second question, which is even more hard, is how many people in that category can we fund? Because we know that we can't fund every single person that starts a YouTube channel. We can't fund every single DAO about food or whatever idea they come up with. So you see how every day, the more people that enter the ecosystem, it just becomes more competitive. And the true measure for decentralization that I've been saying for a long time is the ecosystem is growing in ways that we're not managing. We cannot control. We do not know about them. The technology draws them in yeah. and they're doing work locally and they're deriving value from their communities without us having to fund it. So it's a really challenging proposition because sometimes the decision makers are not even keeping up to know what to fund when. So there's a margin of error, but to give people specific concrete examples to implicate both of us. Oh. 
Oh, oh, okay. It, yes. In the now deprecated ecosystem development fund, we put forward oh, a proposal, <laughs> yes. which we are eternally grateful for, for the near misfits. The near misfits was the first of its kind cryptographically complete NFT series. We're working very closely with AstroDoubt team and the 10K team. We coordinated to have it launched during NearCon in Portugal. It arguably kicked off the insane NFT movement we see now. Due to its nature of being so new, we applied for a grant, which wasn't even a grant for money. We basically pre-sold a number of NFTs to the foundation. And then those pre-sold NFTs were distributed to the community. We saw it as a win-win. We got the bit of extra cash that was needed to get it over the line. And now we had a bucket of NFTs available to the community. At the risk of being extremely hypocritical, would it make sense for an NFT project to go to the foundation today and ask for money to pre-sell NFTs? I'm going to have to say on very rare circumstances, like there's certainly a different environment and we can see how the propositions are getting more and more rich. There are projects doing insane work that are definitely eligible for funding and that should be maximizing it if possible. But the difference that seven or eight or nine months make is huge. So I think that it's something that I'm mindful of all the time, both as someone that has been recipient of funding that got me going last year. You don't want to close the doors to anyone, but also just trying to push the boundaries and challenge people to always think what is the next stage of growth and then the next stage of growth. And then the next stage. And then the next stage. Yeah. Okay, to risk sounding too much, relying on my past educational experience here, it's, it's the benefit of first mover advantage. Because there was a group who was first and spotlighted a particular need, uh, a particular gap, an opportunity in the space, then sure, a precedent might have been set as a result of that. So anyone who's listening right now goes on the forum, whatever the case may be, sees that exchange and interaction, and that's what it's there for. It's apparent for anyone to be able to find if they want and respond to. And that's a precedent that's been set. So I would say on the one hand that, yes, it's totally possible for any other NFT project to say it happened with near misfits. Here's how I'm saying it could definitely make sense for my particular project in these ways. I'm not saying a direct copycat situation because that's probably not going to add value. The point is to add value. So it could be someone saying, okay, I want to do another version of this pre-sale, but with a utility spin or something. If someone were to come to me tomorrow and be like, I want to pre-sell NFTs, but in such a way so that any of when these NFTs get disseminated throughout the community, they come with some particular property. Like it's a, I don't know, like a pre-sale ticket to NearCon or something, or it's something that has additional value. Be careful with your words. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the emails are coming. I'm not. They're, already, they're posting now. I, they're not listening to the rest of the argument. I, just, <laughs> I know. I should really say I have no control whatsoever on NearCon. I just use it as a banner example because it is like Near Misfits. It was a first. When it happened last year, it was the first annual conference. We will be having another one this year. This is an accepted and known thing throughout the community. The announcement is coming when it needs to come. But otherwise, it's that idea of there no leak, no leak. Give me enough time to buy tickets and a visa 
You guys may not believe it, but I still live in Australia. At some point, I have to go back and pet my cat. Not kidding, I don't have any pets, but... <laughs> no, you don't. If you did, you'd be such a neglectful cat parent. You're a digital nomad at this point. Why? I am a digital nomad, but... Is that an established thing? I can't comment for tax purposes. No, I... Oh, <laughs> this kid's... Oh, gotcha. Right, we have to pay taxes. We live in the real world. Oh, I forgot. You pay tax? Uh -huh. No comments. I would like some alpha. Oh, oh, God. Okay, I did prepare for this because I knew it was coming. So I'm going to address this and go back to the other point I was making. So this, the alpha I can give you, is going to be convoluted and it's going to be its own mystery. Ready? You have to work for it. So in a previous episode all of the wild user interview podcast, the region was mentioned that is currently under consideration for where NearCon is going to be hosted. I can also say to you that the time frame this year that's being played with at the moment, that people are looking and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I should book off time. Or in my case, you're being invited to all these weddings all of a sudden. It's, you know, think about end of September, early October. That is a fantastic cue. I love that we're forcing people to go back and to listen to all of them. Go back. It is, trust me, listening to all of them is going to be more enjoyable than writing some AI to scan through them, identifying regions in the world. I do have a hunch. What? Oh, please don't do that, folks. No, just listen to the podcast. Yes, please. <laughs> just do that instead. You're so right. I do have a hunch of where it is because I've got many sources of leaking. Oh, yeah, you have connects. No one's... But once again, because they're mindful of my long travel distances and, and right. visa issues sometimes. Back to the point, you're welcome. Back to the point about someone coming in, seeing seeing if precedent has been set before and wondering whether or not they could replicate that. I Just reiterating the point that if it's a new, if you're forging a new path, you're going to deal with all of the resistance that becomes part of that because people don't really understand what you're trying to do. Maybe you're having difficulty securing whatever resources you need. It might not get the, the response publicly or from users or the community that you would have wanted. So you, you have to deal with a lot. But then it's also understood, sure, you're setting a precedent, but also because you were the first <laughs> and it was an experiment, it was a trial, it was something that we thought, eh, let's see where this goes, that the skepticism, the healthy skepticism that comes with deploying funds for that specific project, for that specific use could be rewarded. And then that's it. And then that's all she wrote. That is the end. Or it could open the door for others. It depends on how it's done. And so. a framework for success we've entered into. It's almost like a warm up. And then it's like truth bombs. And then insights. Yeah. And then lame jokes. <laughs> Bro, you, the, the gestures are being missed. I think it should be noted that arms are flailing as we're saying each of these. Yeah, I, I didn't want to raise them too high because I may have like the other end marks on. I need to buy new t-shirts. <laughs> I need more merch. 50% of my clothes now are from ETH Denver. The merch, you missed out. The merch was fantastic. Part of my FOMO. It's my everlasting regrets. You don't go to the events. You don't. I think you were teasing out. Are you going to Miami this year? No, I'm not. I know. I'm sorry. That was a bit of a faint. So there is, however, depending, depending on if this is something of interest to listeners, which I think it would be because it's geared specifically toward developers, marketers, and then creatives, that there is a hacker house, the first of its kind happening in Miami, end of May. And this is, yeah, this is the first near hacker house to my knowledge. I can't. And again, 
going back to first mover advantage, my colleague, Cameron Dennis, what a big mover and finding the, the cool things and making them happen. And so this is part of his project. In addition to, I think it's the minority program and there's and the near Miami like hub. They're all helping make that happen. So I hope you go, but I unfortunately look technically <laughs> I've got a minor surgery booked in Australia, but oh. if I were to get into the hacker house and then tie it in with consensus, I could restructure it. It's actually super dramatic because Hold on. I'm not sure how it worked in Canada, but during COVID we basically stopped all elective surgery. So I've been waiting for this for almost two years and I'd rather not move the date. But anyway, those are personal issues that I'll deal with. So wait, you're willing to put it off though, if you can get into this near hacker. I'm a social butterfly. I'm a basic, uh... And you've been caged for too long. Australia oh kept God. you within its borders against your will for two years. Way too long. Busting out. Yeah. But what I was going to say is the best framework for funding, if in doubt, always is show, don't tell. So for instance, for the marketing DAO, I really like the framework. I'm pretty sure it was passed down to us for Amelia. It's like very loose, broad guidelines on what to fund. And they told us we fund passion projects. We don't care really if at a marketing level, it is actually crap because you don't really have the structure and the professionalism. And this is something that I've told our new professional marketers. We need to find a midway between make it fundable and it being community run. So what I like the most about a passion project is that you only, you can only have a passion project if it exists. Otherwise, it's just a passion idea. Or a passion dream. Yes. So I... It's just it's just a passion thought. It should just put passion in front of something. Like it's... <laughs> so... It can work. So yeah. I, I get a little bit frustrated with proposals where all the, all the statements, and there's a long list of them, are we will. And I was like, forward-looking statements are very hard to assess because we don't really have anything to assess them by. Mm-hmm. If you were to assess them by the quality of the idea, some of these statements are very hard to say no to. If you were to assess them by the feasibility, then you would have to look into the team, into the market. But to be honest, we're just not in the position to do so. But if you are out there wild in the community and doing things that you can point to, it is perfectly fine to say, hey, this may not seem like much, but obviously I haven't had any funding yet. I'm just getting started. Mm -hmm. Just show us that you're really committed and where your interests are, where your uh, skills are. Some people are really good at things that we can't really tell until we see it. And it it is so much easier to fund things that you're familiar with. And I guess there's like a shared understanding that is creating value. And especially things like content, which are so intangible. Like for instance, especially because I've been running the podcast and, and the YouTube. There's this beautiful phenomena that quality content ages like wine. You can create it one day and it may be painful to edit and whatnot, but once it is on the internet, you can go to sleep and there can be a hundred people listening to it. And this can happen for weeks or months or years, depending on the top of the content. So this is why I am adamant about, look, we'll pay whatever it is for content, but make sure that it is the highest quality possible because that's where the returns are. This, um, I'm going to enter a contrarian lane now. I think AMAs are way overdone. One or two are fine if the product is novel. Hey, here we go. Yeah, you shouldn't be offloading onto the community. 
the talking points, let them send questions, yes. But most of the time, nobody really wants to hear from the two founders of the project. Just, yeah, it's not recorded. If, if, if you're not there live, you may miss it. I think it's a useful tool in the arsenal, but it may be overdone. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a need or a response from the projects to wanting to have more presence in the community, but that just not being their forte to create content. So what if there's a formula for community to create really good content for these teams and to send us an invoice, assuming the project is not super rich already with big VCs behind them. And can't pay for it themselves. I think exactly. that's a really good formula for natural growth. Now, I'd go be careful what I say, because I'm going to get the emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the emails. Let me, oh, okay. So much there. Um, I think you just came upon a new tagline for the marketing now. It's uh, show us the passion. And I give that to you freely. Do with it what you will. And I think you can also apply to the creative style as well. Although in different ways, the standards assessment frame of reference has to be different because Marketing can be creative, but creative is not marketing, if that makes sense. Artists are not inherently marketers. In fact, historically, they've had a really hard time doing that. That's why they had patrons who did the marketing for them and also funded their effort. Literally fed them. This world. Artists would have disappeared yeah. at some point yeah. in time without it's their patrons. If, if you were able, exactly, if you were able to achieve that level of notoriety, of status and you received all of your just like physical needs being addressed so that you could go off with your probably like lead paint, but whatever, and then to create and produce these masterpieces that would stand the test of time, would sit in museums and now are becoming uh, different interpretive versions of NFTs. That's the high art, right? But in this democratized world where DeFi exists, anyone who has a talent is not only welcome, but encouraged to figure out ways to monetize it for their own well-being, but then also to spread whatever wider message they want if it's a philosophical call attached to it. I would argue not a lot of marketers come into the space being like, I have a calling to market this product. Like it's fundamentally different. You could have a skill, you could have a talent, but there isn't that more higher level, perhaps, where you are speaking to something uh, beyond yourself, yes. unless you're like a zeitgeist marketer and you're thinking about the culture, do it for the culture. If you are the marketer that got fired from a traditional marketing agency for being too eccentric, yeah. you're a perfect fit for yeah. us. Come hang out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that the difference may be that a creative pursuit is always a lot more inwards. I guess you're projecting onto the world something about you or the way that you perceive the world. I am going to shamelessly plug my own podcast <laughs> and recommend people <laughs> as you should if they haven't. Yeah. The the interview with Sidewarp, which is a digital artist, near exclusive, one out of one art. Love him. That was one of the many interviews where I learned a lot and I just was thinking about it for a long time. Because I wasn't aware of what he explained as. I just assumed that if you're an artist, you're like self-described and that's it. You're an artist. That's how, that's how we do it in the modern world or how we'd expect it to be. But what he was describing to me, and he's a little bit older than us, is that unless you had three years of art school and a pedigree of museums and patronage and I guess nowadays Instagram, 
they refuted your claim or they just like closed the doors to you. So for me, it was really exciting and empowering to understand shit. May cut that one out. You'll hear this afterwards. <laughs> swearing for me swearing on the podcast every time when i publish there's a little box that you tick is there explicit language and i was like i can't remember but i think there probably will be <laughs> just stick it just in case we got real excited way too carried away no, but it, it's just really exciting to me that i guess that in the same way that DeFi was an eye-opener for me because i lived in hyperinflation and, and i could see the differences in access to finance between the developed world and the developing world. Blockchain, I hope, is being the same, uh, like, eye-opening, like, driver of change for many creative communities that, based on their specific circumstances, they would have been locked out entirely. So it's not just someone a bit wacky <laughs> putting something out there that makes no sense to anyone but themselves. I think it's just more about, like, the system or, like, the wider structure of what the blockchain enables and if we use the same example of there not being many things you know one year ago to do on chain maybe there aren't many things right now that the blockchain can't disrupt like we're building up to it but the creative world is up for grabs and yeah i think that and that's why you see so much happening there and it's been something that i've been quite involved with since the beginning because of my background not generally as an artist but as an art supporter appreciator and advocate and this is the space and the best example of the ways in which anyone who is from the margins, anyone who was traditionally discluded and discounted for whatever reason, can find and carve out their own space, their own community space, their own means of income, their own way to exchange ideas and learnings and concepts that relate to different projects outside of their immediate sphere. That's the most exciting part to me. Like with an artist like Zeitwarp referencing another artist Another, and yet another artist who all deal with NFTs on Mir, but they are very distinct kinds of NFTs. And everyone's figuring out ways, okay, are we going to merchandise this? Are we going to, are we going to make this collectible? Are we going to bring this into the physical world in some capacity? And you get enough folks from different artistic backgrounds, and this is true for anything. You get enough folks from any kind of uh, diverse set of backgrounds, whatever that looks like. And you get them in a room together, virtual room, telegram chat, discord, whatever we're referring to, you get them in the same space together and you say, okay, go forth and collaborate. And this is bringing it back to funding. That ended up being the unintentional theme of this conversation, but here we are. And we say there's, there is a means of supporting you if you want to. Anyone that listens to this episode gets money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no. No, definitely not. Can't promise yeah, that. Yeah, cut that out. But it's just a throw that one out. But it, it comes back to that point of finding the way, not that I want to set up near foundation as a patron-like structure, that's not sustainable, that's not endurable. We're only meant to be around for four more years anyway before we decentralize. So it's more like for now, to get yourself started, think of us as the space you can come to with your passion projects, with your ideas, and we can help alleviate some of the burden with finances, with connections, networking resources, whatever it is that you are best looking for in order to make that idea, that passion project, that concept, something that could grow into any form of maybe business or general project or enterprise. And that's the part where we're at right now that maybe feels 
really uncomfortable for a lot of groups because they're maybe looking at that progression or pathway and saying, I'm not really ready for that yet. I don't really have a marketable angle or service or offering, but I just want to keep doing my thing and meeting cool people. And that's totally fine too. It's not an either or situation. It has to be and. But what I've been involved in a lot lately is finding those groups who aren't part of that mold anymore, haven't been for arguably quite a while, are looking at the current landscape and saying, there is so much we have to offer. And I'm working with them to develop business plans. That is maybe not something that, speaking to how my role has changed in the past five months alone, that's not something I envisioned I would be doing. But there's been a lot of discussions that I've been having with groups that are so exciting that are based on roadmap ideas or business plan development. And funding has to come in at some point that unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, ends up being part of the equation. But it's thinking more sustainably. It's thinking more long-term. And we are at a point in the ecosystem where this can happen on a larger scale. And I am pushing for it so hard because I believe in it so much for the marketing services that can be offered. Because that was another thing that you raised of these projects looking for marketing support. Maybe they can get it from the community. AVP, I am on it just to wait this next time or next time. I hope that all it'll be just known and understood throughout the ecosystem that that pipeline exists and it's community grown. I'm calling them marketing vendors. I'm calling them community marketing vehicles that are positioned to act like agents and field project marketing requests and disseminate them to the talent of the ecosystem and sourcing that talent to then create work for these projects in a way where everyone who has something valuable in them professionalized hand control. I like the framing of looking at Near and Web3 as part of the real world and some of the dynamics just having to carry over and acknowledging that because Web3 can be weird at times and because there are many factors such as a shit ton of money before you know what you're doing, <laughs> altering the equation. So I think that if we think of the natural world, and I studied law in a previous life. You do internships and you get experience and you have to build up to, okay, well now you're a graduate and you get paid like crap and you work very long hours and the experience accumulates. So I'm thinking in the case of a content. Build up your cred. Yeah, I'm thinking in the case of a content maker trying, wanting to offer services to some projects, we all start just putting yourself out there. You have to create content, perfection your craft, get noticed. And maybe after a while, people actually stop paying for it or they want to start paying for it. And the foundation may be willing to help in, in that gap to make sure that you keep going and that you keep growing. But it's about identifying how much work do I have to put in for other people to support it? Because I think that, as you say, the sense of entitlement, that could be the, the, the name of the show just to get, you know, people hooked in <laughs> the audacity would the sense of the types of everything about funding i respect <laughs> i also want to be very clear though that for anyone who knows their worth and has a good sense of self-worth this isn't to say that that isn't valuable that there isn't space for that here because for so yep. long so many people haven't been able to have their work and their contributions valued as they should have been because what you just described, that traditional Web 2 way of uh, you spend a ton of money, you go into debt for school, you graduate to fight over a lowly internship that actually in many instances you don't get paid at. 
to then just accumulate more debt, to then try and get a job hired at that space, but it's competitive. So you maybe don't get it. So you're unemployed. So maybe you go elsewhere. It's awful. We don't it's bad. to replicate. For sure. That's, that's what this world was built to disrupt. However, we can't swing so far from one side of the pendulum to the other without there being cause for it. That without there being a quality understanding that the outputs match somewhere. There has to be some sort of matchability between work done and fun sleep. And it's a sliding scale at this point, and it has to be to allow for a lot more of, I would say, a diverse nuance of understanding and also to be as equitable as possible, but then also to not be totally unfair to anyone else who's coming to ask for a similar anything. You set a precedent, you need to be cautious about that. If I were to visualize it in a, in a graphic sense, if I were to put it in, in, in okay. on like a visual landscape. A graph or chart. Yes. Yeah. Right in the middle, it's a principle that I think we, we can okay. all agree on web two and web three. You have to show value yes. before anyone else cares yes. and before anyone else is even willing to entertain putting money in. In the Web2 world, things start there and then they start sliding towards the shit side. So there may be exploitative situations, there may be economic constraints. For whatever reason, as people go through the showing value stage, things go negative. And we can identify many issues. You've mentioned several. I think with the Web3 world, we've got the potential to start in that middle, show value, show ideas, show commitment, and then veer towards the right. The funding is available. Yeah. We just need to be at that stage where we like it. And as you were talking, I came up with another interesting framework that may help people. Ooh, let's go. The end of the interaction between a person or a project and the marketing DAO or the foundation or, or the funding body. And by the end, I mean cash in hand, proposal approved. You've got the money. That end of the cycle should actually be the beginning for the value creation cycle. And in a paradoxical way, mm. it is that stage that follows after you receive the money that will decide whether the money is handed over in the first place. So for anyone thinking about accessing funding, just make it really easy for us to understand how it creates value for you, your community, your project, and how that translates into the near ecosystem more broadly. At the moment, I think we're living in a really good time because anything that drives growth and growth is very loosely defined, there will be a time where everyone knows about near and there's millions of users and what you do, probably great, but we just don't need to have to pay for it. That's the blunt truth. People do it for free. It's organic. There's projects making money willing to pay for it. So I think that it's a great time to think, okay, where are the gaps and how can I add value right now? And yeah, just go for it. And where do I position what I'm doing and what I'm able to contribute in relation to either what's already in existence or, or what isn't? And there's, there's just so much, there's just so much here also that honestly, it does keep me up at night in the best ways and the worst ways, because as I said before, I had this process of stupid manual. This is where patience and openness is always needed. And I am one of the people behind the scenes directly overseeing that. But otherwise, when you're trying to position value and you're trying to consider, okay, where could be my slot? Where do I fit? But also with that openness of other people might receive this well or not. And that's their right, because these are the arbiters of the funding body. For now, 
the idea is that should be something, and this is a side point, that the arbiters of funding bodies should be in some manner of rotation or there's checks and balances on how much their power is held within them and their office and for what duration. But then when you're thinking, okay, here I am offering this and asking for funds for it, we should also have this understanding that we live in a gig economy now. So if I am presenting a proposal for a particular project to one funding body, I can, yes, of course, submit another proposal for a different project to a different funding body. We wear many hats all the time. And a lot of people love that creative synergy that can result from working on a couple of different things at once. I know it definitely makes my life less boring if I'm just like cycling through no fewer than these days, six different projects, maybe we'll see. But sometimes you have to know your limits and make sure your mental health is okay and all the rest. You're not overextending yourself. But you also need to be open and transparent about the fact that you're an, an agent of multiple projects and of multiple passion. And so you're not double dipping. You're not trying to, oh, it's like pile up on funding because you feel it's your due to do so because it's there and available. Like it's there and available for everyone. You don't need to be sitting here coming up with five different projects just to get more pieces of the pie. That's also not the approach we're looking for. Yeah. And that is something that I really struggled with because any near OG, literally anyone that was involved this time last year, either you were involved in five or six projects or you were not really doing anything. Like it was so much to be done and yeah. people were... It was all or nothing. People were so dedicated. And I am grateful of people that respectfully and sometimes not so respectfully called me out for overcommitting or not having a clear boundaries. This started and then you got three more things. This probably should have ended. Like, I do think that there are ways of racing things and the challenge is you got to make the personal call as to what is within your capacity. I'm not against funding multiple projects from the same people. I'm just mindful that we all have limits. And once again, there are challenges to the person making the decision if all the information is not disclosed, for instance. And maybe going back to what I mentioned about, look, this is a brilliant opportunity. It could end if we don't do it right. Look, unfortunately, like where I grew up in Venezuela, I know people that have the mentality, fuck it, I'm going to go for the kill because this may not last. It's very ironic because these are the people that are making it end early. But if you've never had or your work has never been recognized or unfortunately, there seems to be instability in the payments process and you never know if the next month is going to be approved. I can see how some people not even trying to be too evil would just try to maximize as much as possible. So once again, I think that we're going to find a meeting point to try to have respectful conversations, ask questions. Yes. Now, I am mindful of your time. So I've got what I call rapid fire questions, which if you're a listener of the podcast, this is basically the second half. <laughs> <laughs> we go long, but you know what? We go deep. We go thorough. There's lots of things that we like to cover. People can pause, go for a walk, meditate, and then keep going. Two times speed. Oh. And we sound like chipmunks. It's all good. Okay. So moving on to the rapid fire question. Let's go. We've talked a lot about the transitions of the last few months and some of the challenges. I'd love if you could summarize perhaps some of the biggest insights or lessons 
drawn from the past without having to dwell too much on their specifics. And I guess it may be useful to help you prioritize them. What are the most valuable insight to lessons that are especially informing all the work going forward and that would help you face similar challenges in the future? Oh my God, that's a rapid fire question. That's the theme of a whole other podcast. Okay. All right. Oh, let me try it. It's going to be a mix of personal and professional. One of the major learnings of the past five months for me has been just because we're all remote and we're all online doesn't mean that it's all important. And that sort of prioritization and thinking when it comes to either requests, messages, whatever's coming at me, I've now just as a rule put in my telegram status, slow response, because I knew I needed to slow down more. Otherwise I wouldn't be giving everyone the same amount of care and attention as they were due. So this is something that hopefully everyone uses for themselves or even when they're interacting with others in the space, understand that we live on the internet hopefully, and we live on the blockchain, but that we have to live elsewhere too. And so that means if someone's not getting back to you within the hour, it's not because you're not important. It's because they're a living, breathing human who has probably a ton else going on in the background that you have no idea about. And that's one major learning related to my second one that I would say as, as much as you want to be passionate and care about what you're doing, which I hope is that the case for everyone, it definitely is for me, that losing yourself in your work is not always healthy and having it eat up everything, which I was doing for, for quite a while. And I still am in some respects as a form of escapism is not ideal long-term or I would argue medium term because in crypto things move fast. So medium term is three months. And it's something that we need to all be, I hope, very careful and mindful around boundaries, not only in how we want to interact with people that feels the most comfortable and meaningful to us and is respectful of them, but also doesn't pre present undue pressure or burdens on the other person you're trying to interact with. The favorite messages I get from people are, hey, when you have time, I just want to know about this thing. My least favorite messages are, this isn't working, this isn't happening, why fix it? And that's common decency, one would think. There's some words that happen in there that are better. Like I'm trying to be general because usually it would be to the specific instance and it's almost always a payout. But it's... There are humans. We're all human. We need to acknowledge that a bit better. I don't, I think that's something that we can, yeah, we can all be taking with us forward in, in some capacity if we're not already. And then third, because I like to, to round things up in, in threes, groupings of three, make me very happy. The third learning and insight from the past few months, I would say would be, I'm going to quote a colleague and I want people to guess who this colleague is and I want to see if they can get it right. Surrender to the transformation. Change is inevitable. We've talked about this. We know it. We say it. Things are moving fast. And they're moving fast in a number of different ways all at once. Surrender yourself to it. And maybe you as a person, you as an employee, as a project leader, as a founder, a community leader will evolve as part of the transformation. Maybe whatever you're working on will also evolve as part of the transformation. And that can only be good. Because it's a forward progression. It's maybe a pause and then more forward movement. It might not be linear. It might not make sense to lots of people, but it's something that is 
inherently helping to push you and what you're doing to where you need to be. That's beautiful. Thanks so much for sharing that. I think it's nice to be reminded that we're humans or that some of the <laughs> challenges that we may face on a regular basis are part of being human. That's what I'm saying. This is because mm -hmm. people don't really share that human side as a lawyer. I think that in some ways you're not meant to be human as a lawyer. If we think yeah. of Lady Liberty, you cover her eyes and you're an arbiter of, you know, words and money. So I think that I probably left a lot of money on the table because that humanity, I've just got like an allergy, like a nine to five. And yeah, I feel the pressure. It literally weighs on me if somebody messages me and like I'm working for them formally. Like somehow it consumes me. Like I love being a freelancer, a contractor, unemployed, fun employed. I just, it's weird. Maybe it's something I should work with. I would maybe ask, and, and this might be, this, you were totally okay to say no. You don't want to answer this because it is quite personal. But uh, and there's a lot about being an entrepreneur, a contractor that has to do with control. So are you the type of individual who feels most comfortable when you're entirely in control of your own environment and your own happenings and everything that's going on there? Do you need that kind of like oversight? Oh, yeah, for sure. For me, the main challenge, and this may be due to the nature of work I was doing before and due to the nature of just being an employee sounds dirty sometimes, but just part of a larger <laughs> web of people. I, there is a horrible tendency. You're like employee, such an ugly word. We don't like it. Yeah. I can see the it. proletariats don't rise. <laughs> no, but we will get rid of my issue, anything. which is 100% personal because of the way that my brain works is what I've seen over and over again in the corporate world. Is it someone who has a mild understanding at best of what's going on, delegates to someone who has an even less understanding, but is expected to deliver to the expectations of the, it's just like a chain of mediocrity. And at some point you realize who is in charge of the work, who feels proud of their work here. And if you were to speak out to try to make people stop and reflect and let you do your work and whether you're proud of. They'll tell you, hey, that's the door. <laughs> you can be yeah. in total control of these if you go and start your own private company. So, <laughs> so I guess that yeah. in some ways it's been good because it forces you to try things and you bump into many walls and you understand that maybe there's a reason why things are the way they are. But in other ways, it has allowed me to find people where it's just a really good working dynamic. Once again, some things have worked out to my advantage. Being in Australia on a different time zone and now being a nomad and always in different time zones, being able to work fully remote, being able to have multiple hats that I juggle. No, people understand I'm not available 24-7. So I think that in some ways, mm -hmm. explicitly or implicitly, I have some boundaries that I'm able to put. And I'm extremely lucky to be in a position where if I feel like the boundary is falling <laughs> If it's succumbing to the pressure, I just bounce. It's probably a bad habit, mm -hmm. but I just I can't do it. So once again, Matt, respect for you to sustaining the pressure. I know that it's not an easy job. I couldn't do it. And by the way, hilarious fact, I applied for that position. <laughs> I applied. That's right. 
I applied for the community OS specialist, which is which was your initial role. And I remember distinctly James telling me, I think you can create more value on the community side, which I thought was a backhand slap for we're not hiring you. But I think he was right. It wasn't though. It's the ultimate comp because I could not do what you do. I need more structure. I'm inherently the type of person who, yes, I, I can thrive in chaos, but I automatically start to setting the immediate area to rights so that I have my own corner of chaos. Because I asked that, that question very intentionally about you control because I recognize that in myself very clearly. I have to be, I have to be able to exert a certain measure of control. And it's, it can be understandable chaos, but it's my chaos. And when it's that level of ownership is something I can exert upon it and I know it and I can speak to it and I can tell other people about it. And it's everything that's doing what it needs to, according to some sort of higher logic, perhaps, but at least I understand it, then I'm okay. Then I'm good. If it's something that I tornado cyclone effect all around me, I can't see out of it. I can't see through it. I don't know what the hell is happening. Obviously, I'm not doing something. So there's certain things here that with the boundary setting, it's less that obviously I don't want to be the one relied upon to own the chaos and keep it running. It needs to do that on its own in a way that's a bit more measured that can't be tied to a human. That's a very bad idea. Any superhero movie where chaos enters the equation, literally either named as chaos or some sort of element, and then the superhero just can't handle it for whatever reason. And it's usually because their super strength isn't good enough. It's something psychological or whatever. It's a horror film super. It's like a trope where chaos can come in and mess up everything. And that's because it's the opposite of order. It's not meant to be something logical that people can get. So I understand, I recognize the inherent contradiction of what I'm saying, but it makes sense to me, which proves the point. At the risk of being two crazy people in a bubble. <laughs> Let's do it. I think Let's do it. I can perfectly back up what you're saying, because to me, this odd notion of ordered chaos, all it is really is dopamine cycles. It can be super chaotic, but you can structure it in a way where you have your little wins. Like what can be more chaotic than having a podcast or, or just creating content in general? Each piece of content is different yeah. and Out of each viewer can be different. There's so many known unknowns. It's actually a very poor choice <laughs> for most people, <laughs> but the dopamine cycles are very strong. Like I... As I said, I'm in the honeymoon phase. I, I'm really not looking forward to getting angry messages at some point. But I get such nice messages on YouTube that even if I don't have the time and I'm really trying to make more time now to create more content, it's a very unique dopamine level. It's that feeling that what you're putting out there in the world is being well received. And yeah, yeah that, that's where we go. Just a tiny bit. It's a little. Because the contrast would be yeah. when I was working at the law firm. The only dopamine rush there is walking out the door every night. <laughs> Having the, the fresh air hit your face and you're like, freedom at last. No one gets a dopamine level from hearing from their lawyers, from getting the bill, from having to read through huge documents of monotone, weird words from the 1800s. It's just a different thing. So it is extremely personal. I don't think this is going to resonate with many people listening, but. Know a bit more about me. Fair and same. There's some things that maybe this is why I, and I've heard this for so much of my life of my past careers too, in arts administration, usually people look at the word administration and immediately break out into hives 
because they're like, oh no, that evokes bureaucracy, that evokes paperwork and like very boring stuff. And that's why I've been able to do what I've been able to do <laughs> because I am just enough of a control freak where I'm able to sit down, look at a problem and say, okay, there's so much here that could be ironed out into a bit more of a logical progression that relates to me because I like a sense of order. I like a sense of process. I like clear rules and parameters. They don't need to be rigid. We can tell. <laughs> I'm, yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm in the position I'm in and why I've been allowed to be in the positions that I'm in. Because I mean, even before Community OS and UWS too, as my first role, even before I saw a job description, it was just, hey, they need someone to help them organize what they're doing. And you're good at that. You should apply for this. And I said, oh, yeah, I like organizing things. And it's not everything needs its own unique place. It's just the understanding that anything can have a place and you can present a permutation of what that structure looks like. And if it doesn't work for everyone, if the majority is coming back to you saying, oh my God, this is the weirdest thing ever. I don't know how to in interact with this. That's fine. You take it away and then you can just restructure the structure. There's a word that exists in English in order to convey that if it's not working, you could just fix it and represent it. And other people could have the chance to do another pass at it. Say, okay, yeah, this doesn't, or it does. And that's why right now, what are you doing? And what does community team, what is leading this community team? What is being on the marketing team more broadly? How does that all fit? And how does that all interrelate? And almost immediately right now, the thing I'm talking to the most, the thing that we spent like the majority of this conversation looking at is ultimately at a high level process. It's creating the opportunities and the means for flow of information, for the exchange of ideas, to facilitate opportunities for connection, for spark, for innovation. People could do that on their own, sure. But wouldn't it be so much easier if there were a group of people, and there are, saying, hey, come over here if you're interested in this, because other people who are interested in that are hanging out here too. Or, hey, you need this, that, or the next? Here's where you can go get it. And that sort of routing function is, that's my life. When someone gets on a call with me on an average basis, automatically I want to know who they are as a person. Obviously, I'm not a monster, but I am a little bit more mechanical than people would like because I am going into that call with a clear idea of, okay, this person's getting on a call with me. And this sounds maybe bad, but they're getting on a call with me because they need something or they're recognizing the lack for something. So, what can I connect them to so that they're getting what they need in order to? Be successful, whatever that looks like for them. And that is yet another first mover advantage. Because when we had our calls back in the day, pretty sure it went for two hours. And my, my, my co-founder, Ollie, he's like, you guys see it off like firecrackers. And I was like, yeah, man, we were having fun. Oh, Ollie. Yeah. Yeah, because you're just exploring ideas and avenues. And some people come in very methodical. And I respect that because they're like, you know what? This is what I'm looking for. I was told you're the person to ask to get the answer to that. Sometimes I have the answer. Most times I don't because it's something that's either actively in development or I've heard whispers somewhere that this person's doing it. So I can maybe point them in that general direction and maybe they get what they need. But this is why in particular, like the business plan, the roadmap, the conversational development, why that's so exciting to me is because 
I'm able to help without it being my heart on the line. Like I'm seeing their passion and I'm trying to help them make it happen. Maybe I have commitment issues. Maybe this is what we're, maybe this is what we're unveiling in this moment, but. Psychiatry Dow. And if like being the person who has ideas in response to someone else's idea or someone else's passion. That's what gets me. That's why it's like I could never be an entrepreneur because my ideas are others. Not that I steal them or take them, but that I'm inspired by them in turn. And I love to find ways to get other people excited about that idea. And that's why working for Near Foundation, it's very much like I'm not selling a product. I'm selling an ideology. And that's something that everyone's, oh, okay, marketing is very specific and it happens in, in, in certain avenues. And I argue, no, it doesn't. We live and breathe marketing every day of our lives. Branding is everything. And that's a conversation for another time. But when you think your foundation, when you think, okay, what are we all here for? What are we all doing? I got this job and I ended up in this organization knowing that I was actively going to be working myself out of a job every day. And I, I think that's amazing. Because I do the same with his podcast too. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was one episode away from getting absolutely cancelled. <laughs> yeah, any episode, it could totally disappear. Who knows? And there's something thrilling, obviously, about that temporal nature of anything that we're doing. It's not built to last, maybe, or it's built to be flexible and move to whatever form it could achieve next. And that's why when we're saying actively decentralizing and this is every day, like I work within a team where we're saying, okay, we're looking at what Near Foundation is, what it stands for, what it can stand for. And ultimately the side that I try and bring to it is who are the people who are the very obvious custodians for what can come next? Who are the individuals coming out of the community who are so full of passion, ideas, theories, knowledge that you could just very easily say, hmm, okay, you let's harness that. Let's channel it somewhere. And you have this really cool concept that's going to develop the ecosystem in all of these different ways. Well, let's make it happen. Obviously, that's to all of our benefit. So that's why I'm like, I'm actively decentralizing. And this is such a big part of the ideology is we're open to the possibility of what this tech can do next what these projects can do next, dApps, but ultimately these people. You're investing in individual power. Yeah. I like the way... Through collective power. I like the way that the conversation has flown is we've established that Nier is a giant baby and babies are sponges of ideas so they keep learning. So I can see that like a nurturing relationship between each just being a body and an ephemeral body as it is, because it will mature into nothingness, absorbing all the ecosystem around it. Yeah, no, this... it'll go to Nirvana. It sounds like we're entering this really nice spiritual realm. Near poetry slam. That's done. I love, I miss poetry slams. I I'll come back. never really come back. participated in them. It was always a small dream, but I would, yes, in a heartbeat, yeah. I would endorse that. Whoever wants to spend that. Emails are incoming. The second thing that I really like yeah. is that. <laughs> our open and honest assessment of like personal working styles and interests mm. could be or should serve as a really interesting reflection to the first half of the episode as we were prompting people to find their gap and where they can add value. Yes. 
it is an extremely diverse ecosystem in every way. And there is probably something out there for someone. Definitely don't try to do what I did, which was trying to jam your chaos into the need for order. I'm happy that whoever made that hiring decision <laughs> got you instead of me. <laughs> but the, the final thought I have, especially because it is very deep to think who's going to be the custodian of all of this. I personally think that we have a major challenge in society, especially in countries like Canada and Australia, all due respect, where we've got a bit of a nanny state. The governments are with good intentions probably, but they can be very controlling. People stop thinking critically about things that should be relevant to them in a, in a daily sense. So I think that finding those custodians who can I guess, take on the challenge, remove the mommy and the daddy and lead is challenging. And my only thoughts on that for now is, I think people need to have skin in the game. Not financially, yeah. actually, but just like reputational. What are your stakes in the community that you're willing to work for to maintain and that will deter you from doing yeah. bad things? Maybe your project is built on near, maybe your entire personality and friendships and networks are near. There has to be something, yeah. I feel, that makes people like a custodian. And this is why people hate management consultants. They parachute in. A hundred percent. They do everything yeah. and they get out. <laughs> no ties, no considerations beyond the mere financial. Exactly. They're like, I know exactly what you should do. I, I'm not coming from your experience. I'm an absolute outsider, which could have the benefit of a bird's eye approach and view that the people on the ground are lacking, but also means that you are inherently separate. And intentionally separate from their reality. Intentionally. So if you're coming down on high and saying, oh, this is what you should do, little person, doing all the things on the ground. Ugh, that's so There's many challenges with that. I, uh, now, I don't like we're almost on the two-hour mark. Let's see how much I can cut this. Now, the final question. I'm not even going to pretend it's going to be a rapid fire, but I think it's a meaningful one. Okay, good. You get visibility into a lot of the things happening in the ecosystem and I believe into the pipeline of projects. What gets you excited about the next three to six months, taking into account that, you know, that is a long time in crypto? Oh, I don't want to play favorites. This is so hard. Okay, I'm going to answer it. I, I am not going to do a cop-out thing here because that's always so disingenuous and annoying. I will answer it. However, I'm going to speak in like wonderfully coded language, which is hilarious because I am not a coder whatsoever. So here we go. There are a number of projects coming in that I've heard about that I've been fortunate enough to be asked to um, provide some feedback on and some insights related to entertainment. And this is a space that I would argue NFTs technically already touch, but they don't nearly properly encompass. Like NFTs would be one of the many tools that could be utilized through this entire sector and all the different ways in which we interpret entertainment. One of the hints that I will give is personally, I'm a huge fan of Broadway and musicals. But in addition to that, I think a lot of people, especially if they've been in countries that have experienced a lot of different lockdowns throughout the pandemic and haven't had the opportunity to gather in real life, one of the things a lot of people have missed are like concerts or things related to music. And so that's another piece that I'm really excited about is that live interactive potential, the collectability 
that can come with blockchain tech. And then also the potential for closer interaction in real time or asynchronously as afforded through DAOs, through NFTs, through gated content, and also potential opportunities. And that we haven't nearly touched that sphere yet, but I have high hopes that there will be certain areas of movement that will get us closer to really seeing entertainment on near. And I include Gabe. That was a wonderfully coated response. You definitely handled <laughs> the alpha leaking much better than the USN team. <laughs> well, uh, oh my God, I cannot speak to them. No one getting, but it's all out there now. No, it is. I woke up to a zillion messages. I kid you not. That was one of the few instances where I woke up and I legitimately thought that there was a global crisis more than there already Jesus. And I, and it was like, oh, it was all related to that. And people thought we had answers and, and we should be speaking to it. And we most definitely cannot. If anyone knows anything about how Near Foundation operates, we cannot speak to token price. We cannot speak to tokens. We cannot speak to anything legally concerning, yeah. dubious or risky. So yeah. that was a weird thing. That is one aspect. There's also one response that I gave to a community member. And just to clarify, I don't think they had bad intentions, but they went through like the length of finding the contract yeah. and then deconstructing all the methods. And they had a tutorial about how to interact with it to see like, I know it feels good to Alpha League. I know there's a lot of momentum and excitement. That's natural when there are new projects launching, the ecosystem is growing. We all enjoy when there's growth. Dopamine rush. My only comment is, I think he should just hold off and let the team have their announcement and let them enjoy their moment on feeling their product. I think you're completely There's strategy behind well, it. Well, I think you're completely ruining it. I, and I did use that word. Maybe it's a bit strong of a term, but I, I, I did say, I think you're ruining it because first impressions matter. And if you're presenting a product which doesn't have any use case yet, and that it appears to be super clunky because you're making people go through CLI and there's a bunch of uncertainties and assumptions, I was like, yeah. just wait. We can all share what it's out there and finally understand how it works. And most likely it's going to be more exciting than the bloody CLI alternative. So anyway, all I'm trying to say is. But there are people out there. There are people out there who like to spoil and like to read the endings of books before they go to the beginning. There's so ways. was a certain segment. There's ways of leaking. Oh, we're all about this. Look, somebody DM'd there me. Are ways of leaking. Somebody DM'd me confirming, well, seeking for confirmation or denial of another yes. astronomic alpha leak. This is coming from the ref finance side. Sorry. And I definitely know what you're talking about. I told about. the yeah. person, look, I don't know. And if I did, I can't tell you. Just wait and hold. But this is an interesting one because it hasn't been like public, but obviously someone leaked because the price has doubled. I, I went back to the ref community board raging and you've seen me raging and I was like guys what the fuck we were told is in confidence we were explicitly told not to reveal anything we were told of the implications if this information gets out the whole deal can be jeopardized how can this person know more than I did why did you leave so anyway there's this challenge is there pains of growing what I'm trying to say is patience if any it goes back to that theme if anyone has alphas patience. send them to me <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the I'll safeguard them for everyone. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, as a custodian of the secrets of the near ecosystem, that's a pretty big Rebecca, it's been an amazing conversation. I promise this one will be published. It may be heavily edited. It may take some time, but it will hit the public. It takes, love it. It takes the form it needs to, remember? That's what we're working on. Thanks so much for your time 